Well, howdy, Hootie Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootie Thunkin' podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 114, titled 50 Shades of Blue. Maybe not the best title. I just thought it'd be fun. I don't know. I was trying to, just trying to think of a catchy title that would catch your attention, but it, it's not It's not like Fifty Shades Grey. There's no sexual stuff here. <laughs> so it's just about police. <laughs> anyway, a uh, little misleading title, but moving on. This week's recommendation segment, um, not related to the main topic, I recommend you watch The Orville. It was created by Seth MacFarlane. That's the creator of Family Guy. This show was expected to be, I expected it to be, a ridiculous parody of Star Trek um, with saturated with jokes, might not land after a couple of Seth MacFarlane's other projects. I was like, meh. Uh, but it turned out to be a legit sci-fi series. The show does have some McFarland humor throughout, for sure, but it isn't saturated with comedy. Seth obviously has the ability to be funny, and some of his projects in the past have been slam dunks like Family Guy and Ted, but other projects of his were just too ridiculous for me. Uh, luckily, the Orville saves the humor for when it best fits the story. In my opinion, that makes the few jokes that do make it past the editing um, even funnier. Uh, I've you know, you're, you're, I'm enjoying a sci-fi show and I'm watching it. All of a sudden, some relevant joke comes in and just slam dunk. Hilarious. But this isn't a comedy show. The main focus of the show is to go where Star Trek never did and certainly doesn't today. Uh, today's version of Star Trek kind of sucks. The Orville proposes some of some deep concept concepts only possible on a futuristic exploration starship. I think it is leagues better than the Star Trek spinoffs of today. And that is why I recommend you check it out. It's called The Orville. It's on Hulu, the first two seasons. Season three is about to come out in June. They were postponed a bit because of COVID. Um, but yeah, two seasons, two full seasons out now. It's really good. Check it if you like sci-fi. Now, for the main event. Now, this is all about police. The other <laughs> not 50 shades of gray or blue, whatever. <laughs> I, I need to change the title. But I already started recording, so... <laughs> It's there. The other weekend, I was headed to bed after having a few beers, and all I wanted to do was watch a cool movie that I'd never seen before. Didn't have to be great, just decent. I turned on Netflix, and I saw U.S. Marshals, and it had, like, Tommy Lee Jones, Wesley Snipes, and Robert Downey Jr. I'm like, how have I never heard of this? It's a quite, the, quite the cast. And this is right when Robert Downey Jr., the, the person, not any of his characters, the actor, um, was going through, like, his worst substance abuse issues. So he was a party animal. Uh, it's a movie from the 90s, so the early 90s, or sorry, late 90s. It is technically a sequel to the much more famous movie, The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford. Um, as I watched this mediocre movie, I found myself wondering what a U.S. Marshal does, what makes them different than regular cops or FBI agents. You know, what is a U.S. Marshal? And so this episode was born. This episode is all about the different kinds of law enforcement and what they do, and the Marshals are included in this. Before I get into the different kinds of law enforcement, let us cover some basics. Law, for law enforcement is the sum of all the agencies and employees that are tasked with protecting the public, keeping the peace, and enforcing the law. Do they always do all those things? Yeah. There's some interesting public opinion about cops lately, not just, not just recently, for a long time. But that's what they're supposed to do. Protect the public, keep the peace, and enforce the law. This is a massive amount of responsibility, and therefore law enforcement has been split up into all sorts of different things. There are jurisdictions such as federal, state, county, and local, you know, city or town cops. The feds include the Federal Bureau of, federal Bureau of Investigation, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the U.S. Marshals. That's like the FBI, the DEA, and the, and the Marshals. State cops include state troopers and highway patrol. Then counties uh, have sheriffs and deputies, and cities and towns have their own police force, 
usually could have police chiefs or just uh, you know um, uniformed officers. So let's pick apart some of the big ones here. Some of the more uh, like ten different kinds of cops here. Uniformed officers. Uniformed cops make up the majority of the U.S. police force. They investigate crime and help the public. What includes you know which includes menial tasks like directing traffic stuff like that. Have you ever heard of a beat cop? Well, a beat refers to a specific patrol, specific route um, that an officer will take. That is their designated area, their designated route that they go around. Um, and therefore, they can become familiar with the area and will be the first to spot any irregularities when they're checking it out. These are like the grunts, you know, for um, there's there are a lot of similarities between military and law enforcement. Tons. The way they call their ranks and stuff like that um uniformed officers would be like privates just the grunt works the infantry just going in taking care of stuff not specialists really then you have detectives now detectives are the guys that um all the books shows and movies are written about they uh talk to people who have witnessed crimes and suspects they interview everyone involved to collect clues and evidence to build a case they organize all the facts and type up detailed reports on crimes Detectives are typically very organized people as they are responsible for creating the prosecution in a court case. Everything they type up is picked apart by the defense's legal team. So if they are sloppy and they make a mistake, it can be thrown out of court. So that's why detectives are typically, not always, I mean, at least in movies and TV shows. I'm, I, I, haven't, I don't think I've ever met a, an actual detective in real life. But just reading it up on this, the detectives are typically a little bit different. You know what I mean? They're, they're organized. Um, but they also interact with people, suspects and stuff. So they can't just, they're not just, you know, pencil pushers. They also have to know how to handle themselves. So detectives are kind of in the middle of the upper echelon of the people. You know, that's why they make all the shows about them. They, they have someone to answer to for sure. But they're not just a beat cop doing boring stuff that wouldn't make it into a show. They're kind of in between. Um, they got the most entertaining or, or the most the the thing the job that the writers like the most and come up with the most stories for. Then we have the state police and highway patrol. State and highway patrol have a huge jurisdiction compared to local cops. They're typically patrolling major roadways or highways, but they also help local police during emergencies or situations that go past the jurisdiction of local cops. If local police don't have the resources to address a situation, like uh, like an emergency or something, or like a, you know a major um, snow squall or you know. Um, an example comes to mind back in college. They had a whole bunch of people on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It's a huge highway. Not many off-ramps because it's a toll road and it's a highway, major highway. It was, you know, blizzards came through. Tons of people were trapped in there. Obviously, rescue people were out there as well, but state police were involved. The local cops of the near towns, that's not them. This is highway patrol, and they, they took care of that. Now, uh, we're getting to more uncommon police forces. Last three you've probably definitely heard of or been arrested by. Who knows? Next up, we have fish and game wardens. Now, not everyone's going to interact with these people. Not everybody goes out in the woods. Not everybody likes hiking. Uh, but these are, you know, first of the more uncommon police forces. Game wardens aren't even typically thought of as law enforcement by most people, but they are. These are the guys protecting wildlife, such as fish and animals, as well as the forest as a whole from us, the people. So they're kind of cool. I mean, they're, you'll, as you hear what I wrote about them, they're like my favorite kind of police officers because they're not really worried about... Their job is to protect the forest, nature. They work with nature con conservation de departments, maintaining the health of our forests. They also help federal departments with investigations. As an example, like there's a kind of a 
a more interesting one. If a murder victim is found in the woods or a suspect has fled into the woods, game wardens will, ins- will assist investigating law enforcement, such as local cops, detectives, by guiding them through the wilderness because they know it the best and they're also a form of law enforcement. So, you know, they do have the power to enforce the law. The main responsibility of fishing game wardens is to enforce fishing and hunting laws. So just to get a really, really basic idea here, you got, you buy a hunting license in Pennsylvania, you don't get any extra tags, you just get the license. You can shoot one buck, but it's like, how many antlers does it have? Does it have three on this side? Does it have three on that side? And so the game wardens, they enforce all that stuff. You can't go out and get another buck. You you can hunt certain things year-round, 24-7, coyotes. You can hunt coyotes anytime you want, as long as you're being safe. You can't shoot a firearm, whether you're hunting or not. You can't shoot a firearm within a couple, I think it's like 100 yards of a house or something. Um, so there's all these different rules that they have to um, to enforce to keep people safe and the wilderness safe. Um, they keep hunters from po- and fishermen from, they keep them safe and they keep them from poaching, uh, which would deplete our natural resources and our wildlife. Similar to how they help investigating forces as guides in the woods, they also conduct search and rescue operations. If you're out there hiking, you get lost, game wardens are going to be one of the first people to come get you. They're supposed to know the woods better than any other official law enforcement, so it makes sense that they would be doing that. Game wardens also follow up on complaints or accidents regarding parks and trails. You know, there's, hey, there's a big log covering the trail over here. Um could hurt people people can't get through through, get through can you fix it stuff like that they're supposed to know how to operate boats and off-road vehicles to come and get you and address things fishing game warden is a very uh, sought after job Uh, so the competition to become a game warden is stiff because there's a lot of people like me who would love to be out protecting nature from people wardens need a bachelor's degree related to biology or conservation plus impressive experience helps as well um some of the other law enforcement positions here don't really need all that stuff you don't really need a bachelor's degree um you don't really need lots of experience but this because the competition's so high you did you do where um a lot of other departments of law enforcement have come under fire for misconduct or blatantly illegal actions under the protection of the badge game wardens are typically safe from all that negative pr you know these guys care about nature and making sure people don't muck it up uh the only pr they typically get is positive because people like game wardens they're not usually (laughs) they're not the ones in the news like oh you know defund the police if anything we should fund the game wardens more um our our Nature needs our help. You know, they need it needs protecting. They may um, you may think of fishing game wardens as a simple nature protector, but I assure you that they have arresting power and will book your ass if need be. So don't mess with them. Um, they have just as much authority as a regular cop. It's just that their jurisdiction is in the woods, so we don't a lot of people don't interact with them as much as they do with other police officers. So, um, so yeah, keep that in mind. They are actual cops. <laughs> And I think it'd be fun to be a game warden. It's just you look into it. There's so many things that they require for you to do. And I, I don't know, wound up working in insurance. Anyway, next up, we have transit police. If you don't live in a large city, then this kind of law enforcement might be a bit alien to you because they're only around where there's big, big kind of tra- transportation stuff going on. Transit cops, they patrol subways and freight railway stations. They typically stop property damage type crimes like vandalism and theft. Uh, but they also patrol for trespassing and smuggling. Transit cops are required to go to police academy, like uniformed cops, and some cities require further training as well. Um, so yeah, transit cops. And I never even heard of a transit cop till I moved to Pittsburgh, so that was that's what I mean by that. If you don't live in a bigger city, probably have no idea what I'm talking about. 
Next up, we have sheriffs. And I did put a picture of Allegheny County Sheriff uh, Kevin M. Krause. Um, Allegheny County being the county that I live in. The biggest difference between other police or law enforcement and sheriffs is that sheriffs are elected positions. They have to be voted into their roles. It's one of the original things that was voted in uh, or written, you know, since our forefathers. You got to vote for the sheriff. They are also in charge of enforcing laws throughout a county instead of just a city or town. So they have a larger area to cover, a lot on their plate. That's why they have their cronies to help them out. We'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> while most sheriffs have had some sort of education or experience in law enforcement before running for sheriff's office, it isn't really required to just be elected. The sheriff's office is responsible for carrying out the orders of the court to enforce injunctions, serve warrants, the service of out-of-county protection from abuse orders, um, writs of summons and complaints, uh, subpoenas, and writs of attachment garnishment. So... A lot of weird stuff going on what the sheriffs have to do. Next up, we have special jurisdiction police. This includes like campus PD. So I included a picture of my old college uh, PD or police department, the Slippery Rock University Police. And when I Googled them, I got a picture. There's this chick I, I had a couple classes with just talk. It looks like a promotional picture for the Slippery Rock PD. Um, they're just cool. One of my fellow students is in there. Places like college campuses or other schools fall under special jurisdiction, and airports and other transportation systems do as well. So they have like their own police force. Um, so even though I always thought of them as uh, rent a cops or not real cops when I was in college, they are indeed real cops. <laughs> Please learn from my mistake. Special jurisdiction cops have just as much authority as regular cops. They are not to be trifled with. <laughs> the main difference in their authority is that they don't have jurisdiction outside their special jurisdiction. So if you are doing some shady stuff in town, the campus PD aren't supposed to arrest you because that's not part of their jurisdiction. Um, but you uh, can or you, you can bet they will call the local police to do it anyway. So doesn't mean you're in perfect. I mean, jurisdiction doesn't mean they just can't call other cops. So U.S. Marshals and Air Marshals, that's our next one. And this one's is weird. Um, whole reason for the episode. The USMS, the U.S. Air Mar or U.S. Marshal Service, is a federal law enforcement agency in the United States. And it's the bureau within the U.S. Department of Justice operating under the direction of the Attorney General. But serves as the enforcement arm of the United States federal courts to ensure the effective operation of the judiciary and integrity of the Constitution. It is the oldest U.S. federal law enforcement agency created by the Judiciary Act of 1789 during uh, the presidency of George Washington. So that's how old the marshals are. As the Office of the United States Marshal, the USMS, it, as it stands today, was established in 1969 to provide... Uh, guidance and assistance to U.S. Marshals throughout the federal judicious, judicial districts. The Marshal Service is primarily responsible for the protection of judges and other judicial personnel, the administration of fugitive operations, the management of criminal assets, operation of the United States Federal Witness Protection Program, State Witness Protection, Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation System, so prisoner transport, um, that's where the movie Fugitive came from, alien transport, um, interesting there, they don't mean like Space alien. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like foreigners. Uh, the execution of federal arrest warrants and the protection of senior government officials throughout the or through the Office of Protection Operations. So they protect really important people too. Throughout its history, the marshals have also provided unique security enforcement services, including protecting African American students enrolling in the South during the Civil Rights Movement, escort security for United States Air Force, 
um, the Minuteman missile convoys, and law enforcement for the United States Antarctic program and protection for the strategic national stockpile. So I thought that was crazy that they <laughs> law enforcement Antarctic program. Next up are the air marshals. So there, you know, there's U.S. marshals. Air marshals are like a subset. They are a special kind of marshal. They protect passengers and crews of aviation and transportation that include. Or aviation transportation, so just in the planes. That includes commercial flights. So you could be sitting next to an air marshal on a flight. You probably wouldn't know it because they don't tell you. Uh, air marshals need a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, homeland security, criminology, or sociology, and um, completion of a 14-week training. The training includes both basic training and specific air marshal training, comprised of physical fitness assessments, firearm training, and tactical classes. So lots of stuff needed for a marshal. While you might imagine, um, oh, next up we have the border patrol. While you might imagine border patrol agents following tracks in rural areas or performing routine custom checks at the border or the airport, they can work in many other capacities as well. While many of them are responsible for surveying land and coastal uh, borders for smuggling and other illegal activities and communicating with those crossing the border, border patrol agents can also find specialized work within customs and border patrol agencies with opportunities in horse patrol or bike patrol and emergency medical services. So I thought that was interesting having a horse, but imagine where the borders are sometimes, makes sense to use a horse. If you're looking for the best chances or best chance of becoming a border control aid patrol agent, a combination of law enforcement experience and criminal justice college courses is a great place to start. Um, the best man in my upcoming wedding, his brother is in is lives down in Texas now, border patrol. Um, his job is quite dark. He sees some stuff, um, but he seems to like it. So, uh, <laughs> and if he can get in, anyone can. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Brandon. <laughs> Next, we have a CSI, or Crime Scene Investigators. This was a big show back in the early 2000s. I remember it as a kid. Uh, for some reason, everyone's parents, you know, a lot of my friends, we weren't allowed to watch a lot of different TV shows. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. But watching CSI, no problem. <laughs> there was a, it was about murder and rape and all kinds of stuff. And it's like CSI. Every, everyone's parents was the same, pretty much. Just watch CSI. <laughs> I don't know why. But anyway... Crime scene investigators, sometimes called forensic technicians or forensic scientists, are the, the law enforcement professionals who scour crime scenes for evidence gathering and documenting uh, what they find. Depending on the role, they may conduct laboratory analysis of the evidence they collect. Additionally, they may be called on to testify as expert witnesses in criminal trials. This can require explaining complex subjects in plain language, so strong communication skills are a big plus. You got you can't just be a, a closeted hermit doesn't know how to talk to people. To become a crime scene investigator, you'll need to earn a bachelor's degree in criminal justice or related field like forensic science or biology uh, before stepping into that crime scene or onto the witness stand. So be mindful. Next were some other ones that weren't covered in my big articles, but I thought, I wonder if they're cops or what's going on there. Uh, first of those, uh, what about these other guys? TSA, Airport Security or TSA. Um, people often believe that an agent has the same role as a law enforcement officer. However, TSA agents are not law enforcement officers. TSA officers cannot arrest a passenger. They also do not carry any weapons, are not allowed to use force as part of their duties. They simply screen for security reasons, and if a situation arises, they have to contact actual law enforcement 
in the case of a breach of security in the airport. So uh, the TSO uh, would contact air law, airport law enforcement to handle the situation. And the airport law enforcement would be part of that special jurisdiction we talked about earlier. Then we have deputies. We talked about sheriffs, but what about uh, their cronies? <laughs> their cronies, the deputies, the deputy sheriffs. The main difference between deputy sheriff and a police officer is jurisdiction. Police officer is solely responsible for the prevention of crime within their city limits, whereas a deputy officer, deputy sheriff is responsible for an entire county. Like we said, it's bigger there. Job responsibilities are also different for a deputy and police officer. Police officers mainly patrol, issue tickets, and testify against criminals they arrest. The duties for deputy sheriffs vary by state, but may include maintaining county jails. So you go to jail with a drunk tank, you've got a deputy there. Acting as security in courts, like bailiffs, investigating crimes or accidents, and issuing warrants. Qualifications and training also differ with additional um, training needed to become a deputy. Prison guards or correctional officers. Generally speaking, the men and women who guard prisons... Uh, prisoners in U.S. on U.S. soil do enforce the law, but within a controlled environment. It's a little bit different. They don't attend police academies. They typically don't make arrests, but some states do permit arresting power to their correctional officers just in case. Where beat cops have reality to deal with, correctional officers have an enclosed world full of convicted criminals to deal with. They're two different things. They are two very different possibilities. That best man I was talking about, uh, my best man, he is a correctional officer. So, you know, Sean, he's a cool dude. Prison guards are tasked with keeping convicts from getting out or committing further crimes when inside, where other cops, they're finding people out there, putting them in. So it's, it's a little different. Then we have the Texas Rangers, and whoa boy, I thought the Marshals were my favorite, or I thought the Game Wards were my favorite. Texas Marshals are probably the coolest mofos. The Texas Ranger Division, a lot of history here, commonly called the Texas Rangers and also known as Los Diablos Tejos, the Texan Devils, is an investigative law enforcement agency with statewide jurisdiction in Texas. Based in the capital city of Austin, over the years, the Texas Rangers have investigated crimes ranging from murder to political corruption, acted in riot control, and detectives as detectives, protected the governor of Texas, tracked down fugitives, functioned as a paramilitary force at the service of both the Republic of 18, from 1836 to 1845 and the state of Texas. So they've done all sorts of things. They're sort of like grandfathered in. They're not like, they're not just state cops. Uh, these are different. They've been around since before Texas was part of the U.S. So Texas Rangers are, are different breed, kind of like a weird category. Texas Rangers were unofficially created by Stephen F. Austin in a call to arms written in 1823 and were first headed to Captain Morris or headed by Captain Morris. After a decade, on August 10th, 1835, Daniel Parker introduced a, res uh, a resolution to the Permanent Council, creating a body of rangers to protect the Mexican border. The unit was dissolved by the federal authorities during the post-Civil War Reconstruction era, but was quickly reformed upon reinstitution of home government. Since 1935, the organization has been a division of the Texas Department of Public Safety. Um, it fulfills the role of Texas State Bureau Investigation. As of 2019, there are 166 commissioned members of the Ranger Force. We're not done. A lot more about the Texas Rangers. The Rangers have taken part in many of the most important events in Texas history, such as stopping the assassination of Presidents William Howard Taft and uh, Porfiro Diaz in El Paso, and in some of the best-known criminal cases in the history of the Old West, such as the gunfighter 
John Wells, uh, Wesley Hardin, uh, bank robber Sam Bass, and outlaws Bonnie and Clyde. Scores of books have been written about the Rangers, from well-researched works of nonfiction to pop, pulp novels and other such fiction, uh, making the Rangers significant participants in the mythology of the Wild West. The Lone Ranger, perhaps the best-known example of a fictional character derived from the Texas Rangers, draws his alias from having once been a Texas Ranger. Other well-known examples include the radio and television series The Tales of the Texas Rangers and the several Texas Ranger roles, including Chuck Norris portraying Cordell Walker and Walker, Texas Ranger, which is, I mean, if you're if you're my age, you're a 90s kid, you know what I'm talking about, Walker, Texas Ranger. Made a reboot, haven't even tried to watch it because that looks like garbage, but the Chuck Norris one was freaking cool. During the early years in the 19th century, the Texas Rangers were the main fighting force against native tribes, namely the Comanche. While other colonizing forces used muzzle-loading firearms, the Texas Rangers used the, used the then-newly-invented Colt Revolver. And this is why this is big. Joe Rogan talks about this, and I looked it up. It's true. Samuel Colt developed the first mass-produced multi-shot revolving firearms. Various revolving designs had been around for centuries, but precision parts couldn't be made with available technologies. Colt was the first to apply industrial-age machining tools to the idea. The use of the revolver gave the Texas Rangers a major advantage over their enemy. Comanches were master horsemen and were able to rapid-fire arrows from their horses, uh, where other colonizing forces had to dismount their horses and take minutes to reload their firearms. Texas Rangers could now rapid-fire back to the Comanche. So they were finally stepping back on um, their enemy. Their ability to successfully face the Comanche in combat cemented the reputation of the Texas Rangers as badasses of the West. The Rangers are culturally significant to Texans and are legally protected against disbandment. So you can't get rid of them, which is, that's a little scary to me. <laughs> Any kind of firearm-wielding force that you legally can't disband, a little worrisome. But like I said, these are grandfathered in. There is a museum dedicated to the Texas Rangers known as the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum Waco, Texas, which celebrates the cultural significance of the Rangers. So there you go. Those are some of the other ones. Now, let's talk about the ranks just real quick here um, to wrap things up. I always thought it was neat to look at the different ranks here, and there's a couple I didn't even know about. Like the first one, police technician. This is entry level. This is like high school diploma, or you just got your GED. Here's the pencil or paper, the paper pusher. You do parking tickets, direct traffic, stuff like that. Typically don't make arrests. You call the other dudes to make arrests. You have your police officers, your uniformed police officers. Talked about them before. That's um, most broad rank. The training, they have to go to training academy. They can have a high school diploma or bachelor's degree. They patrol, investigate emergencies and non-emergencies. Some departments view detectives above officers, um, but we're going to loop them in here for the ranks. Police corporal. Uh, officers that show leadership qualities typically become corporals in charge of officers. Then we have police sergeants. About five years of experience minimum is needed to be a sergeant. Um, they interpret and apply ordinances to a wide variety of situations, train officers, give out punishments, develop new policies, stuff like that. Police lieutenants. Many years of experience is needed to end an exam to become a lieutenant. Middle management here. They hire and fire power. Um, they can fire cops. They assign titles and roles, shifts, and they work with other police departments and interact with the public. Police captain, now we're getting up here, college degree needed, um, public speaking relations, public relations needed, uh, manage department activities, answer only to chiefs and deputy chiefs, and budget management, training, hire, work with public, and conduct research. So they do conduct 
crime research. Now we're getting up to the last two, deputy police chief. Deputy police chief are in big cities where it's too big for an area to police for just a chief. Um, they can act as chief in the chief's absence, like a vice president type deal. Becoming a deputy police chief is likely to require several years of service in law enforcement management position. A bachelor's degree in criminal justice is typically required, and some agencies may prefer additional training or education, like completion of the FBI National Academy. And finally, the head honchos, chief of police. Um, they oversee everything on the top of things. Most police chiefs are appointed by elected officials as the public head of law enforcement. And as the high-profile leaders of a public law enforcement agency, the buck stops with them. They are ultimately responsible for any issues or incidents in the agency under their watch. Because of this, they often face criticism from public leaders, activists, and local politicians if things aren't going well. This means most successful police chiefs are educated, articulate, and at least very or a little politically savvy. And that's all I have for law enforcement. Hope you found out something interesting. Maybe I should have just done a podcast on the U.S. Marshals and the Ranger Service um, or Texas Rangers, but I thought it was interesting. I wanted to know how the police works, and I looked it up. Thought I'd share it with you. That's what this podcast is, my show and tell. Don't always get an A every week, but <laughs> I liked it. Had fun. Go check out the Orville. Go watch U.S. Marshals if you want. Like I said, Tommy Lee Jones, Robert Downey Jr., Wesley Snipes. It's a decent movie. The Fugitive's way better. If you haven't seen The Fugitive, watch that first. Um, and then watch U.S. Marshals. But anyway, thanks for listening. Hootie Thunkers. And have a good day. Tune in next week. Thunkers.